Now we do have two sessions left in our series of God's divine plan. The handout that you'll be using in this session will be back to the first one called the outline sheet, the two-page outline sheet, the divine plan revealed in the orderly layout of the Bible. If you only got one sheet, it's double-sided, okay? So uh, some of you it's double-sided, others of you it's two single sheets. At least it was the other day. But there's two sides to it, in other words. Now, we've covered the highlights of God's eternal plan. We started Friday night at the top of his eternal counsel. Uh, Eternity passed and noticed in Ephesians 3.11, the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. But then if you go to the second part of it, the second side, down at the bottom, you have the consummation. Then comes the end. That's the language of 1 Corinthians 15.24. Then cometh the end. And by end, that means of all the dispensations and trials. Then then the eternal state comes. But how does God get there from counsels in eternity past to an eternal purpose that he had predestinated in Christ Jesus our Lord? Well, he gets there through revelation, we learn. And that revelation, when it's given in block forms, is called dispensations. God dispensing something. uh, Giving man the administration of truth that will govern his life. And we notice on this particular handout, uh, the dispensations are briefly listed for you in the far right uh, of all the seven stages. And they're gray with the blue lettering, free will, conscience, government, and so on. And then we amplified it with a dispensational chart that gave much more detail. Uh, And we saw the seed in these different times in history. God progressively reviewing a little, a little, until it culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the seed that is Christ. Uh, We looked at dispensations a bit yesterday. What we'd like to do in in these uh, last two sessions, if you see what is highlighted in yellow on these outline sheets, and they're called covenants, we're not going to look at them all. We're going to look at a few. Covenants. Uh, Covenant to Noah. Covenant of promise to Abraham. We've referred briefly to some of these. Covenant of law, the new covenant, and David's mercy covenant. Uh, to explain how this fits in God's eternal plan, you'll see it on page one, you'll see them in page two, uh, how they play out in the end, how they play out in the present, and how they came about in history. That, that these sheets uh, will give you that information to some degree. But I'd like you to go, as we introduce this, to Hebrews chapter 6, please. Explain what we're doing with covenants in a minute. In a minute, we'll be in Hebrews 8 and so on, which talks all about covenants. But I want to show you, may I call it a principle here in Hebrews chapter 6. And I'll start with verse 12. Hebrews 6 and verse 12. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so we're talking about promises. Verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. 
just want to stop here. We're talking about promises, and we're talking about something more formal. Later it will be called a covenant, and here sometimes attached with an oath. Sometimes we say something, and we mean it, but the person wants assurance that we really mean it. So as kids, we'd say, cross my heart and hope to die, or something like that, you know. Uh, something about my mother's back, I forget what it was, you know. Uh, but something that would show you're really telling the truth, and uh, that was supposed to settle it. Uh, but in the courts of law, we have higher things here, and uh, there are things that uh, you can make a promise, and there's many promises in Scripture, but sometimes God will formalize that promise so you know it's absolutely true. We're going to see that a covenant is a formal promise that brings you into a union, a relationship with God of some sort. It's a formal promise that is legal. Uh, I'll give you, a, it's kind of a poor example, but I think you'll get, you'll get it. A guy says to a girl, you know, I really love you. You know, I, I'd like to live with you because I really love you. She would say, did you ever think about legalizing that? Yeah. Uh, it's, called, it's called marriage. <laughs> uh, the wife of thy covenant, Malachi 2.14. No, that's nice you lo lo love me in that, but do you love me enough to legalize it where you'll never leave me? And it's binding. Now, that's a deeper commitment, isn't it? That's a deeper Well, what God does at times in His eternal plan, yes, there's this revelation, that's dispensation, but in some of them, He will formalize it. Formalize it into a covenant, and on some occasions even add an oath to it, okay? Formalize it into something legal to give us assurance to see this is absolutely true. I can know the framework. This is a promise that it will never be negotiable. It's a legal binding union. And that's what a covenant is. Formal promises that are legally binding that brings one into a relationship of some type with God. Formal promises that are legally binding that brings one into some type of relationship with God. Now, I stopped here at verse 16, and we understand that. I'm going to reread 6.16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So when you take an oath, you swear in court, that's supposed to be where you really mean it, and we can't debate it anymore. This is absolute. That, that's the meaning of that. We do that also, as he says, men do that. Now, verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. There are times, and he's referring to one of them here with the Abrahamic covenant, that God will confirm it with an oath. You know why? He wants to show the immutability of his counsel. You know what the word immutability means? Your translation will probably have it. Unchangeableness. It doesn't change. It's not something that's going to be modified. It's absolutely unchangeable. It's sealed. It's confirmed with an oath. And sometimes covenants do that. So he goes on to say in verse 18, that by two immutable things, two things that can't change. One, the promise of God can't change. He doesn't lie. Okay, like we, he's faithful to promise. But to help us grasp the reality of it, the other thing is a covenant or an oath. So you have a promise and you have an oath, in some cases a covenant. And, and that is to add more credibility to give you full confidence. So verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, etc. Sure and steadfast. It's a hope, but it's a certain hope. How can I be sure? 
God has gone out of his way at times to take some of his revelation and form it into a covenant. In some cases, it's the same as the dispensations. In others, it's not. And there, there are five major covenants God has made with man. Other covenants men make with God, men make with men. But five covenants here is the covenant to Noah. You see that in number three, highlighted in yellow on your outline sheet. Then number four, the covenant of promise to Abraham. And while we didn't look at all its details, we did refer to that yesterday. Uh, uh, blessed all the nations will be blessed in him and his seed. Uh, that, that's a covenant with an oath. And then number 5a, you have the covenant of law. We talked about the law, the giving of the law to Israel. And then the annex, the land covenant. And then you have the new covenant in the Old Testament. It, it predicts the new covenant. And then also in number 5 here, you see David's mercy covenant, the covenant with David. And then on the back page, you'll see how these covenants play out at different times. But the five of them are listed for you on that front page at the various times they occur in history. So now what we want to do today in our two closing sessions, we want to consider two covenants in this session, the old covenant, the law, and the new covenant, the grace gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The old covenant and the new covenant. In our last session, we want to consider the covenant to David, the mercy covenant to David. And the purpose of this, it'll, we've already discussed some of these things, but to show that at times in history, God has formalized it. Therefore, you can understand what's going to happen next because God said it. It's credibility. You can be steadfast because it's a covenant. Because God says, I will never break my covenant with you. Judges 2 and verse 1. Sometimes, unfortunately, marriage covenants are broken, aren't they? But God says, I will never break my covenant with you. And when you know the terms and the details of the covenant, you can start to understand, well, God will do this. He won't do this because he never breaks it. So you get to know your God better. So what I want to do in this session is what Hebrews 8 will do. If you go to Hebrews 8, and he will compare the old covenant and the new covenant. You also know it as the Old Testament, same word, testament, as covenant. And the New Testament, same word, covenant. Okay? Old Testament and New Testament Old Covenant, New Covenant. Your Bible is divided into those two big ones. And we, to understand God's plan here, we, we, we want to understand these more. Now, if you're taking notes, I was going to use PowerPoint, but I decided not to. Uh, I'm going to if you're taking notes, I'd like you to make a little chart. If you need to use the backside of your, one of your sheets, your dispensational sheet, or some of you will have a backside of this, or a blank piece of paper. If you're taking notes, here's what I'd like you to do. I, I have it outlined here for you. One half of the paper, I'd like you to put old, okay? And then the right hand half of the paper, I'd like you to put new. We're going to learn about the two by contrasting them to each other to see what we're involved with and get to know our God. And just like dispensations had elements to it, you know, new revelation, judgment, man's failure, judgment, grace to continue, a covenant has legal elements to it. And it has, well, I'm going to give you nine that usually occur. I'll give you nine major ones. And if, you, if you're writing down the list of paper, uh, you want to write down the left side because this will apply both to the old and the new. And then we'll see what is true of the old and across from it what's true of the new. So number one, a covenant will have an initiator. An initiator. Then if you're taking notes, below it, a covenant will have a recipient. 
Remember, marriage is a covenant, right? Does marriage have an initiator? It's the man, right? He proposes to the woman. He's the initiator. Who's the recipient? Well, the one he loves, the woman. So, so a covenant has an initiator and recipient. It also, in many cases, some cases, has a mediator. Number three, it has a mediator. In a marriage, it's the preacher in the middle or the judge you know, appointed by government. Somebody to legally tie you together. It's a legal thing. So when you got married, there was a, some preacher there, I would imagine, unless you went to the justice of the peace. Number four, it has promises. A covenant involves promises. Marriage, are there promises in a marriage? You better believe there are. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. In sickness and in health, till death do we part of the Lord Jesus comes. There are promises. And so there are formal promises in a covenant. And then there are terms in a covenant. How do you get those promises? What do you have to do to get them? Conditions or terms would be element number five. And then number six, there's the formalization of a covenant. By the way, in marriage, you know what the terms are in marriage of the covenant? In a Christian marriage. Today you have all these wedding nuptials and all that, and, you know, you know I'll do this if he doesn't do that. It's bad, okay? Uh, you just say, I do. <laughs> uh, 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 you're not, you don't have to say, uh, I'll make so much money, I'll do none of that. <laughs> the terms are just accepting the other person, isn't it? That's the terms of a marriage covenant. Then the formalization. It's a legal thing. And so in a wedding, a formalization is uh, the witnesses that you choose uh, have to sign that wedding license, don't they? I remember Johnny and Amanda's, I had to sign it after I dropped their rings, you know, and lost one. <laughs> Yeah, you know. But anyway, uh, I think we found it, right? <laughs> okay. uh, it, it's formalized. Another way it's formalized in the eyes of the people, uh, you might not remember this, Johnny, but I said you may kiss your wife. Do you remember that? Yeah, brother. <laughs> you say no, and you know, <laughs> you're going to go looking for a ring again, brother. <laughs> no. So there's a signing, and there's a formalization of a covenant in many cases. And then there's a duration. Element number seven is a duration. Formalization is number six. Uh, duration. How long? Till death do us part. Or the Lord Jesus comes in the marriage covenant. A covenant has a duration. A covenant sometimes will have a symbol. Sometimes it will have a symbol. Now, in their cases, it was the rings, and it turned out to be the rings. And most weddings in the American culture, you're giving them a ring as a symbol. The ring doesn't make you married. You can take it off, you're still married. But it shows, it's the symbol of it. Many covenants of God, not all, but many of them have a symbol. Noah's covenant had the rainbow, remember? Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, a covenant has a formal name. A name. And marriage is called a wedding or marriage. And in that name, it carries all kind of meaning... But the one word conveys it all. In the union of a man and woman, it's called marriage. So that, uh, let me give you an example. A man and woman are out on a date. And uh, the guy says to the girl, I have marriage on my mind. Oh, uh, That's all he has to say. <laughs> you, know what, you know what's involved in that one word, marriage. Okay, it, That's the formal name to the whole covenant. I'm not going to give you the person's name because you might know him. They were in their 40s. He's a, he's a unique man, man of God, okay, still living. And he didn't get married until his late 40s. 
And he had his own eccentric ways, and uh, he was interested in this one woman, and here's the way she told me the story. He ordered some books from where she worked so he could go meet her, and uh, then he asked her out to dinner. But he wanted her to know that in his late 40s, he's not into the dating scene casually. So the way he wanted to convey to her that he was serious, he says, Sister, I want you to know I'm here to mate and not date. <laughs> and I said, what did you do? She said, I didn't answer him. I just didn't let him, let him explain. And, you know, that was just his way. That's the only way he knew how to say it. <laughs> They're married. Have a tremendous marriage and doing, doing well. And if I told them their names, you'd know them. Okay. okay. Anyway, uh, a formal name, marriage. Now, if you're not taking notes, you will just go. But if you did, that's the kind of chart you should have. Now, what we're going to do is just go down to the old and the new in this session and fill in the blanks there from Scripture to see what is the old covenant and what is the new covenant and which one are you associated with, okay? And know the difference. It will preserve you from error. It will help you know your God and your promises. So we're going to go uh, to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Where it will begin to do this in uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and uh, verse 6. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. But now if he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much more also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Jesus Christ is, a sta- is a connected with something called a better co- covenant because it has better promises. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So you have a first covenant, and you have a second one in this context. Uh, but one has replaced the other. Uh, verse, in fact, Hebrews 10.9 says, He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. The two do not operate simultaneously. There are some covenants you can't have simultaneously. You can be married to your spouse, and that's a covenant. You be married to another one at the same time? You've got to wait till the first one dies. I mean, that's a poor way to put it. But you can't have two covenants like that working at the same time. And so he takes one away and establishes the other. He goes on to say in verse uh, 8, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant. So it's going to be different. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. And then look at verse 13. For in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now when they decayeth and waxeth old, is ready to vanish away. The fact that there's now a new covenant is how the Old Testament gets its name. When it was first given, it wasn't the old covenant, it was... The covenant of law. But now since something new has come along and replaced it, the, the, new now, the, the original now becomes the old. It's called the old one here. Uh, for example, you get a brand new car. It's your new car. But a couple of years later, you convince the wife it's time to get rid of it, and you want a fancier model, and you go out, and now you get a new car, and what do you call your car that was the new car? Well, this is my old car. I'm trading that. It became old by virtue of something becoming new and replacing it. And that's how the Old Testament gets its name. So there's a comparison in Hebrews so we can understand what we have in Christ. So what I'm going to do now is using this passage and a few others going back and forth in the Old Testament is start to show you these elements and maybe we'll see the greatness of what we have in the New Covenant. So we're going to start with the initiator. 
The initiator of the old covenant is God. He, he's the initiator. It's not man, it's God. So you want to keep something here in Hebrews because we're coming back. But let's go to Exodus chapter 19, please. The book of Exodus 19. Uh, they're, out, they're out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness on their way to the promised inheritance. And God stops them in the wilderness and says this to Israel. You look at verse 3. Exodus 19 and verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thou shalt, not say, thou shalt say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So we're talking about a covenant here. Notice who's arranging it. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him. God himself is the initiator, the designer of the old covenant. We're coming back to Exodus. But on the right-hand column, if you made that chart, who is the initiator of the new covenant? Well, go back to Hebrews 8. Go back to Hebrews 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. Hebrews 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Going to chapter 10, please, of Hebrews. Chapter 10. You'll see it again. In verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. So the initiator of the new covenant, that's talking about the new covenant there you'd see in context. The initiator of the new covenant is the Lord too. So that's similar. God is the designer and initiator of them both. Now as I kind of roll through these covenants and the elements, brothers, if you have something you want to add or question, just raise your hand. I might forget to stop at times, okay? I'm going to go to number two, the recipient. You know, you can't claim covenant promises unless the promises are formally made to you. I'm just going to go back to the wedding because they're sitting here, okay? Uh, Johnny says, I I'll love you forever, whatever language you said it. But Amanda's the only one that can claim that. <laughs> you made a promise, but only to her. She was the covenant recipient. And so only the covenant recipients can claim the promise. So we've got to know who the recipient is. In the Old Covenant, it's clear, going back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. And uh, verse 3. And the Lord went up unto God, or Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel... And so it's Israel. It's the house of Jacob. It's not given to the Gentile nations. It's not given to the church. It's the house of Jacob, the children of Israel. And so this is who the recipient, the promises are made to. And for the church to claim these things would be foolhardy because it's never made with a church or a Gentile nation. It's made with Israel. They are the recipient of the old covenant. Now we come to the new covenant. We come to the New Covenant, and who's the recipient? And it gets a little more complicated here, but stick with me here. I'm going to take you back to Hebrews 8. 
Hebrews 8. The first part of the answer is Israel. It's the first part of the answer. Uh, looking here at Hebrews chapter 8 again. And I'm going to take you back to verse 10. Hebrews 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Uh, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into mine and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness, etc. And, and so he's now talking about the new covenant and that he'll make with the house of Israel. And it, this is a quotation, by the way, from Jeremiah 31. This isn't a New Testament invention. And their Old Testament prophets, God already said there'd be a new covenant. In fact, go with me. Keep your hand here and go with me to Jeremiah 31. I want to show it to you. And that's a great strategy with the Jew. What we're talking about comes from your Bible, not some Christian invention. All right? uh, so you go to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah 31, in a day when Israel was breaking the Old Covenant. Jeremiah 31, and here it is. It's what Hebrews is quoting from. And we'll go down to verse 31. Jeremiah 31, and uh, we'll go down to verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. Once I get in Jeremiah and get out of Isaiah, I'll be with you in a minute. All right. Jeremiah 31. And going down to verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with them, their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of uh, the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this will be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So see, Israel is the recipient. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be uh, my people, and they shall no man teach any man his neighbor, etc. Uh, so that the new covenant, too, is to Israel, but it's to more than Israel. For you go now to Hebrews 10. I already read Hebrews 8. In fact, I have to do it one more time so you see what's happening here. You go back to Hebrews 8. In Hebrews 8... When it mentions Israel, notice it mentions the word Israel here, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their hearts and so on. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, verse 11, with Israel. But now you go to chapter 10 where this is repeated to some degree. Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. You get down to verse 15 now. Hebrews 10 and verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he said before. Now he's going to quote part of Jeremiah again. But notice the Holy Ghost in verse 15 is witnessing now to us, the believers. <laughs> Not, and when he witnesses to us, this is a, the application of the Holy Spirit now to the church age. He's a witness to us. And notice what he says here, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He quotes some of the same promises, but the Holy Ghost omits some things. Any brother know what he omitted in the Hebrews 10 passage that was in the Hebrews 8 and Jeremiah passage? 
House of Israel. <laughs> yeah, it was a house of Israel in chapter 8. Here is them. It becomes more generic because it's going to include believers now. And remember, he did repeat the promises. Their sins and iniquities remember no more. I will write my law in their hearts. But remember, no man will have to teach his neighbor saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. That's omitted here. For we're not in that age yet. you still got to knock on doors and say, Know the Lord. In the millennium, Israel won't have to. They'll all know the Lord. Okay? Uh, and he omits that. So what he's omitting is what is for us. Forgiveness of sins and a new nature inside. A law written not on tables of stone, but in the heart. And so passages like this tells me, and other passages, the cup you took this morning at the Lord's table is the cup of the new covenant. Paul claimed to be an able minister to the Corinthian church of the new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3. And so under the recipient, you can write Israel, and one day they will come into it. It's the only way they'll know God, not through the law. But you can also write whosoever believes. Whosoever believes. The believer. Unto us. And Israel disappears from the language now. In fact, look how chapter 10 ends. Look how chapter 10 ends. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And so the recipient of the new covenant well, is Israel, but they have rejected that, though they will come into it someday. But now it's to us, the believers in Christ, through faith. It's to whosoever. Sometimes a covenant can get broader. Let me give you an example. You, you make a last will and testament, okay? And uh, you write, tell the lawyer, you know, we have two children, and I'd like you to put in there, the children will divide our inheritance. And you name the children. Our multi-million dollars, you know. <laughs> the children will divide it upon our death. Well, you wrote that, and about 13 years later, a third child is born. Hmm. What do you do now? <laughs> right now, you said, add that third name, please. They're a child, too. Hmm. Israel rejected it. And now God has added a church to the new covenant. We now are the children of God through the Lord Jesus. Uh, and that's how we have come in. The Holy Ghost witnessed to us. So the recipient is not only Israel, but a recipient is us, the believers in Christ. I see no hands. I'm going to go on to the mediator. Yeah, yeah brother Mel. Support for that. Now the support for that again. I know you gave one scripture right here in Hebrews 10. The support for the new covenant uh, applying to the church is here in Romans 10, and then you mentioned First uh, Corinthians. You mean 11. Hebrews 10? Yeah. Yeah. First Corinthians 11 as well. Yeah, verse 25. The the new, new Testament, new covenant of my blood to the church. Right, that, that's to the church. So yeah. That would be the two main. Uh, There's one other main one. What's that? 2 Corinthians 3 6. Paul claims to the Corinthian church he's made us able ministers of the new covenant and speaking to them and says the Spirit. I'll get into that later. 2 Corinthians 3, and then one of the key verses is verse 6. So, yeah, I understand why you're asking that. that that's the proof that it's for beyond Israel now, it includes the church. Just like we can add people to our last will and testament down the, down the road. Brother Ron. Yeah, I just want to back up a little bit. In Hebrews 8, in verse 7, it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, can you touch on that a little bit? I, I plan to. Okay. Okay, it's going to come in one of the other elements. Okay. And if I forget, tell me to, but I think I will. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Ron. Okay. Uh, Moving to the next element, a mediator. Many times a covenant needs a mediator. Somebody qualified to bring the two together. In a marriage case, it was the preacher or the justice of priest. Justice of priest, justice of peace, okay? Uh, somebody ordained by the state and so on. 
Hebrews 8. Look at Hebrews 8. First, let me give you the answer to the Old Testament. And I won't even turn it to you because it was obvious. Galatians 3.19 says, The law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That the Old Covenant had a mediator. And as you read Exodus 19, God did not tell Israel directly about the promises. And Israel did not answer God directly about keeping them. Who was the go-between? Moses. And the mediator of the Old Testament right there in Exodus 19 was Moses. He would take the words of God. He'd bring back the people's words. He would notarize the deal and so on. So he was the legal, by, by conveying the words, he became the mediator. So the Old Testament had a mediator. It was Moses. The New Testament has a mediator. It's not Moses. It's our Lord Jesus. Go again here to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8. And looking at verse uh, 6. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, Hebrews 8 and verse 6. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. He's the mediator of a better covenant. New is better than the old, as we'll see. So he's the mediator of it. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, uh, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, Look at it in Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. 9.15, For this cause he is the mediator, speaking of Christ, of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He's the mediator of the New. But he's a mediator in a different way than Moses was. Moses was the official spokesman, right? Here's what God said. Here's what the people said. Moses will sprinkle the blood later on and so on. You know what Christ did? He just didn't convey words. What did he do? By means of death. He has met the charge of our sin and died for our sins and satisfied God. That Isaiah 53, 11 says, Thou shalt see the travail of his soul and shalt be satisfied. Christ just didn't do it with words. Now, you take this person like a preacher does at a wedding. Christ gave himself for that was the need. The wages of sin is death. And so Moses and Christ are mediator. One was by words. The other was by giving him himself, the love of the Lord Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12. You'll see he's a mediator again. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 24. Hebrews 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and that the blood of the sprinkling speaketh better things than that of Abel. Connected with blood again. Huh? And so we have, we, we have a mediator that's going to bring man, the sinner, and God together. The mediator is Christ. But it's just not words. You do this. And God said, no, no. It's he died for our sins. It was action. And he's the mediator. Go on to the fourth element. is promises. Yes, Brother John. Christ Jesus himself being God in the flesh, 
you know, uh, pain, mediating for our sin. But there is not two as the old covenant was. There's God and there's Moses. It was uh, all of one. Uh, you know, God himself is one, it says in Galatians. I don't know if you want to make a comment on that. Yeah, that might be right. I don't have that Galatians passage 100% figured out. The problem was me, not... not uh, uh, I have heard that too, where God is one, and it does say that, but it doesn't tell us what it means by that. But we have in this, see, as you go through Scripture, John, you'll see that while God is one, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Son has brought us to the Father. You listen to 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, that he might bring us to God. Well, Christ is God. But, but the Holy Spirit comes into our heart crying, Abba, Father. So Christ brings us to the Father. So I'm looking at, at least in the Timothy way, in this way, of Christ the go-between between the sinner and God, and that is the gospel. Yet the Galatians passage might be saying what you said for a different reason. I've yet been able to seal that 100% in my mind, and I'm not saying it's wrong what you heard. I've heard it too, and they might be right, but it doesn't answer the rest of it, okay, that he brings us to God. Yet he's God, but there's a father son. That's best I can say it, okay. State that again, though, for the rest of us, John. What was the reason that, that you no. in Galatians 3? No, what, what I heard in Galatians 3 was that. And then, and then you know, it brings Abraham there. And, and that's why I don't want to talk about oh. the next session where, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham's sleeping. I'm going David in the next session, so we're not getting right. Abraham. So Abraham's <laughs> sleeping the whole time. God does everything. Yeah, that's right. Same thing with the, I think with the new covenant that, you know, uh, it says the mediator of Christ more than one. And there is. I guess two people there, God and Moses in the Old Testament. But now in this new covenant, you know, God you know, God promises everything and there's the you say one sense there is no mediator. God is one. He does the whole thing, right? Kinda of like he did back with, you know, Abraham was sleeping and he himself walked between the pieces. Right? So the you know, the mediator applies more than one, but God is one and that God himself, the first Lord Jesus Christ, covenant covenanted to to us completely and freely without any, any effort from, our, from ourselves. It, and, and, sorry, I was going to say, yes, oh, I was say real quick, like you mentioned uh, will and testament, like, like if you make a, if there is uh, two parties and they both have interest, then there's a need for a mediator, right? You do this, if I do this, you do this, if I do this, but, but there's a will and testament, there is no need for a mediator because, you know, I will this to you, you know, when I die or whatever. And there is, there in that sense, there's no one in the, in the middle, uh, perhaps. You know, there's no one to hold for both sides and compromise because there's just someone given to someone else. That's how I heard it explained. Yeah, th there's truth to that. Eh? That's the Galatians slant on it. But yet the Hebrews is definitely showing a mediator. Even with the will and testament, there's no mediator needed to make it happen, but there's a need mediator needed to make it legal. You make a will and don't get it notarized, and your kids don't have a chance. I'm just telling you in today's system. Okay, you, you need that mediator to make it legal. So I think in that sense, the death of Christ counted as mediation, but not in the sense uh, of uh, God needed uh, another person to participate. The work is all of him, but it's through his son. Uh, but even in the last will and testament, you, you better go to a lawyer. I, you know, somebody told me that. I said, yeah, I got my will made. Did notarize it? No, he said, you're an idiot, they told me. <laughs> so, you know, anyway. You, you follow what I'm trying to say. I don't have the whole thing. But, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. But the work is all of God. But there's someone who has to put the stamp on the sprinkling of the blood, brother. And we'll see that is in both of them. So we're coming to the promises, okay? 
Promises of the old. Let's go back to Exodus 19 to see what they are. There are promises to a covenant. Exodus chapter 19. Again, I uh, take you to verse 5. God, uh, through Moses, saying this to Israel, 19.5, If therefore ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now, you, nothing about heaven or hell here. Nothing about forgiveness of sins here. That's not the promises of law. That you'll be a, a special people, his, his, a privileged nation. Look, look at verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. A kingdom of priests shall represent me to God and God to people. And uh, you'll be a holy nation, a separate nation that I can use. You'll have national spiritual privilege. Those are the type of service privileges that the promises are. Now, once they got in the land promised to Abraham, he added to this covenant... And it would involve physical blessings and cursings if they would obey. So let's go to the, can we call it the amendment to that? Just like our Constitution have amendments. Uh, uh, an annex was added to it later. If you go to Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And he promises in Deuteronomy 28 blessings and cursings. It's part of the covenant promises. And they're physical for example, looking at Deuteronomy 28, and you look at verse uh, uh, 1. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Well, that's part of the promise. Now watch verse 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee. You're waiting to read the blessings, Okay. Forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, heaven. Nope, you're not going to read that. All these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy ground, the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and of thy flocks, and of thy sheep, etc., etc. Health and wealth are being promised here. Physical blessings. You want to be in the land? Fine. Would you like to be blessed in the land? Well, then you've got to obey. And I will promise you agricultural prosperity. I'll promise you health, military victory. That's all part of Deuteronomy 28. Physical blessings to an earthly people are the promises of the Old Testament. Not only that, cursings are part of the package. They're promised cursings if they disobey. So look at verse 18 of chapter 28. Verse 18 of chapter 28. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy land, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. And he goes on to give all these physical curses that God's promising here. Uh, you go further. Into you can read them all on your own. But you go further into chapter 29. It's Israel's history in advance, all those curses. But, but looking at verse chapter 29 of Deuteronomy and verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So this is an amendment beside what he already did. Uh, verse 9. Some brother read 29.9, please. 
going up in the water about that those things which are revealed will only the ones who go are children forever. That's a great verse. That's yeah, I'm sorry. That's twenty nine twenty nine. I meant twenty nine nine. Okay. Twenty nine nine. That's okay. Might have been me. Keep there for the word that was covenant and do them that they may that you may prosper in all that you do. You keep the words of this and do them and you'll prosper. Prosperity, earthly health and wealth for doing the words of this covenant. But look at twenty nine twenty one. Twenty nine twenty one. And the Lord shall separate him. Unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. The book of the law not only promises physical blessings, it promises physical curses. I don't know if you like a covenant like that. A covenant that promises blessings, it also promises cursings. Remember Hebrews 8, 6. The Lord Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant established upon better promises. Better promises. In this covenant, brothers and sisters, God is obligated by His own faithfulness. If Israel disobeys, what does God have to do to that, those people? He has to punish them. He has to curse them. History's verified that. And that's all the cursings of Israel. It's part of the covenant that they accepted. We're able to do it. Well, if you don't do it, you're going to be cursed. That God is an unfaithful God if He doesn't chastise and punish Israel in all the details He's given here. And He has. For they're in a covenant of curses and blessings. Now, those are the promises of the Old Testament. They're earthly promises of blessing and cursing, depending on their performance. We're going to come to the New Covenant. Let's go back to Hebrews 8. Oh, yes, brother. One question on that. When they originally entered in in Exodus 19, it was just a blessing aspect, right? Or was there a cursing aspect? No. Well, not no. Uh, yes, yes. Well, let me, yes, I hear you. No, there's not. Okay. When they entered in toward the promised land, the covenant to Abraham and his seed was only blessing. Was only blessing. I will bless thee. And then the cursing was for those who cursed Abraham. But for Abraham and his seed, I will bless thee, give, make of thee a great nation, and thee all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's unconditional, the Abrahamic covenant. They get the land by a gift. But once they got in the land, would you like to be blessed in it? Yeah, we would. Well, then you've got to obey. They, they, they received the covenant of law to something God had already given them because they wanted more blessing. But along with that went cursing. But, I mean, initially in Exodus 19, did, you, know, did, you said it was an amendment in Deuteronomy 28. So did they know in Exodus 19? They said all that the Lord has spoken we will do, but that was just regard to the, the, the blessing, right? Did they know at that point that there would be the cursing? Uh, oh, I see. Did they know at the point of Exodus 19? Uh, I don't think they knew directly, but God shook them out. It was on fire like a volcano. They trembled. They knew it was a very serious thing they ran into. But once you say all that he said will do, God can add anything he wants. <laughs> and, and, and this is what he did. And, and they, before they entered the promised land, they had to stand as they entered on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. One half of the tribes quoted the blessings and the other cursings, and they promised to do them. So the generation that actually put their feet in the land agreed to this. Agreed to this. But the initial group just knew of the right. They, they just knew that whatever he said will do. Right. Yeah, that's right. Good. There is progression here too. Yeah. Okay, New Testament. Hebrews chapter 8, look at the promises.
Hebrews 8, I'm going to reread verse 6. But now if he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. We can expect better promises. Let's look at them in Hebrews 10. We've already read them. But here's the New Testament covenant promises to us. Hebrews 10, in a nutshell, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. All right? He's going to, do, he's going to put his law in our hearts, not on tables of stones. An inward transformation. You, you know, uh, I happen to love spinach of any type. My wife does not like cooked spinach, okay? But I love cooked spinach. Now, uh, you, you, you can give her all these laws, you know, you must eat this, you must do this. You know, you can make the law. Uh, but if you really want her to like spinach, uh, just get somehow my DNA into her and she's going to like spinach. <laughs> what God does, He internally, through the Spirit, puts the law in our hearts and in our minds. That's what He promised to do. That's a promise of the new covenant. You know, you can give somebody a law, that doesn't change their likes. Our, our little granddaughter, Ella, two years old, we had some parsnips the other night. And uh, she didn't finish them. But then there were some candies on the table. Her mother said, you can't have a candy until you eat the parsnip. She puts the parsnip in her mouth and chews it. And then uh, uh, I, I placed the candy in her mouth. You know what she did? Spit the parsnip out and ate the candy. But, you know, that was clever. She, she did what she had to do until she got the candy. You know? but, uh, but I'll tell you, if you can get those genes in there, that's what God has done. He's got it in us. So there's going to be an inward transformation. Some brother read Hebrews 10, 17, please. That he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember your sins no more. These are spiritual promises, brothers and sisters. Promise of eternal inheritance. It'll talk about eternal life. If you had a choice of prosperity for 70 years or whatever... Or you had a promise of a new nature and sins all forgiven. Which one would you take? We know now because the law has entered. We, we have better promises that are eternal in value. And you can read the details of them in all the Gospels. Justification, forgiveness of sins, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what? The Gospel only promises blessings. Listen to Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Your gospel, many people make the gospel like the law. If you do this, you'll get heaven. If you don't do this, you get cursed. That's the law. It's not our promises. Okay? <laughs> our promises are only blessings. The blessing of Abraham comes upon us, Galatians 3.14. There's no cursing attached to the gospel. If you believe, you have everlasting life. You won't perish. Try to find one cursing in the gospel promises. You can't. It's all spiritual blessings. We go from physical to spiritual. We, we go to blessings, but we omit cursings. You know why we omit cursings? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13. We've been redeemed, delivered, not just from hell, from the curse of the law. We're not connected with law, thank the Lord, as being under its authority. Or you're connected with a curse. And that's where Christendom puts people back to this curse to keep a fear factor over them and to keep them alleged to themselves in their pocketbooks and everything else. 
And the gospel liberates you and says there absolutely is no uh, cursings. I, I will remember your sins no more. All spiritual blessings. It's a better covenant on better promises. It's the very reason your gospel is different. It doesn't contain cursings. And those that bring cursings back into it are legalizing the gospel. i got to move on or I won't end on time, okay? So let's go to element number five, the terms. I, I covered these yesterday, so I'm not going to say too much about it. But just going back to Exodus 19 for a minute. They had to obey the covenant, remember? And you go back to Exodus 19. And uh, verse 8. And all the people answered and together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. You want the promises? It's a conditional. The terms, there are conditions to them. We will do. Just like we said yesterday, the example of I'll give you all the pizza and ice cream you can eat on Saturday to your kids. If you make your bed, if you don't fight one another, if you get straight A's at school. It's conditional. You don't have to give the promises if they don't meet the condition. They had to obey the covenant. They had to obey all the words, not just some of them. All that the Lord has said, we will do. The old covenant is built on the terms, I must perform to get the promises. The New Testament is built on Christ's performance, not yours. And so the terms are what man does for God to get the promises. It's built on the confidence of man. Going back to Hebrews 10, if you go to back to Hebrews 10, please. Remember they said, we will do, and this was brought out yesterday. But lo looking here again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16 again. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I will. It's not built on, it's built on God's will. Now, he's faithful, isn't he? Can he be trusted? Well, he can be trusted. The new covenant, the promises are built on my will. The Old Testament, or excuse me, the Old Testament are built on my will. The new is built on God says, I will do it. You know, to those that believe, he does it. And that takes me back to Hebrews 8 and Ron's earlier question. Not only the promises are better, the covenant's better, the way it works. The terms are better. The conditions are different. The old had an if in it. If you do this, I will do this. The new is just, I will. And so the terms are, uh, I, I trust God and He does it. The old is, I have to perform. Two different set of terms. And so that brings us back to verse 6, chapter 8. But now if He obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises? For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there should have been no place sought for a second. If the first covenant didn't have any problem, if it was perfect, if it was without fault, why get a second one? You know? Sometimes I tell my wife I need a new iPhone, you know? She said, what's wrong with the first one, you know? <laughs> you know, why get a second one if you have, you know? Uh, so if the first one's perfect or good, why seek a second? The first was fault, had fault in it, and the reason it had fault in it, look at the next verse, uh, uh, verse 8, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers 
in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Huh. It is curses. If you don't continue, you lose it. And because it's built on our will, it has fault. It's built on human will. And that's why I submit to you, Ron. The fault of the New Testament is built on my performance, not God's. And therefore, if I don't continue, I don't, I'm not regarded. I lose the blessings of the covenant if I don't continue. He said, I regarded them not. He put them into captivity, we learned yesterday. And they're in captivity today. That's because God is faithful to his covenant. The new covenant has no such terms. If you don't continue, he doesn't regard you. Uh, the, the new covenant uh, built on the promises of God. And no wonder Hebrews 10.23 says, He is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. So that, that in a nutshell is the terms are completely different. And I t does that help answer the question, Ron? Uh, the fault of it was it was built on me. And since it's built on me, it's not going to be permanent. Yes, yes, that's right. If we understand what we mean by those terms. Okay. A two-party covenant means only one party has conditions to do. Right. Oh, excuse me. A one-party covenant, only one party. It involves two parties still, God and the uh, believers. It still involves two parties. But when we say a one-party covenant, what we mean is only one party has something to do. Two-party covenant, two parties have something to do. That's the law. Both covenants involve two parties, but in one covenant, only one party has something to do. The new is the one. The old is the two, and that's why it's fault. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And now i got to fly. Uh, we, we look at number six, element number six, the formalization. And again, I touched on this yesterday. I'm going to start giving you references. A covenant is formalized just like a marriage. And remember, Moses wrote it in a book. Exodus 24, the law. And then he read it to him. And then they said, all that the Lord has said we will do. And then he had a sacrifice. He took that blood and he sprinkled it upon the people. And he sprinkled it upon the book of the covenant. And upon the altar. So that it was all sprinkled with blood. It was the official notary, not signing in ink, signing in blood of a sacrifice. In which the people were blood sprinkled. The book of the covenant was blood sprinkled. And uh, the altar was in one of the scriptures. And so that they're entering into a national covenant with God. It is notarized. It is formalized just like a wedding is. Legal documents have to be formalized. And Exodus 24 is the sprinkling of the blood upon the people. And it, as it was sprinkled, they said, we will do. And they're bound by blood. Okay. Get to the new covenant. You know what the formalization What What makes you formally the children of God? Huh? What's the formalization? Yes, Christ died for your sins. He shed his blood. That's the payment. But what actually makes you a child of God? Well, our, our faith is what brings us into it. But what really gives you his life? You can say, I, I, I have his life. I'm a child. Well, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans 8, 16. Uh, go, go to Hebrews 13. That he comes into your life. Once you're cleansed of sins, just like a cup of water, you don't put... Clean water in a dirty glass. But once this is cleansed, you pour it in. Once the blood cleanses us, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And we have Christ in us, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes us officially the children of God. Yes, I'm the children of God. Anybody can say that. What really makes me the children of God? It's, 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 not, so, it's not just the blood sprinkled now. It is uh, the blood of Christ, but that has caused the Spirit to come into me. Uh, looking at Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant. Look at the next verse. Make you perfect in every good work, working in you. to do. Or make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you. That which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He writes the law in our hearts. Through the blood, but He works in us. And so what makes me officially the child of God? What makes me authentic is I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's the earnest of this whole thing. It makes me legal. It has to be legal. And the baptism with the Spirit. Now all these are subjects in themselves, but just trying to show you the difference of what we have so that you'll be able to recognize error. You'll be able to stand in your faith. You'll be able to enjoy your faith and contend for the faith. Know the difference of the covenant you're connected with. And then the duration the new, you can just write down everlasting. We just read it. The blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrews 9.15 will say the promise of an eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9.12 will say eternal redemption. All right. Israel's was perpetual. And uh, if you're taking notes, you can, I'm not going to turn you to it for time here. But you can write down Exodus 31.16. Exodus 31.16. It was perpetual. Perpetual simply means ongoing for every generation. But it was temporary because if they broke it, God says, I'll regard you not. As long as they kept it, it's perpetual. But remember, he says, they kept it not, and I did not regard them. So they had a perpetual ongoing covenant that could become temporary if they broke it. And it did become temporary. But ours is an everlasting covenant. And he's nailed the ordinances to the cross. Christ has died. We're dead to the law. And we're involved in something completely different called the everlasting covenant. Duration does not depend on me. So it doesn't have a temporary clause in it. And then uh, uh, the symbol. These two covenants do have symbols. Anybody know the symbol of the old covenant? What's that? That's the Abrahamic covenant, which was incorporated into the law. But it began with Abraham, which covenant I, you know, not going to say anything on today. But anybody else want to guess, men? Circumcision. Rainbow's Noah's. Circumcision is uh, Abraham's. So go with me to Exodus 31, please. Exodus 31. Exodus 31, and I already quoted this in regards to it being perpetual, which means ongoing. But uh, back to Exodus chapter 31, this time turning to it. And verse 12, Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths. Shall be, shall, ye shall keep, for it is a sign, symbol, sign, between me and you, 
throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath, he shall surely be put to death. Now watch verse 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. All right. Keep the Sabbath to observe it for a perpetual covenant. It's the sign of the covenant, we were told earlier. Verse 17 is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and in the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. By keeping the Sabbath, you know what they were saying? This God who's our God, he's the creator God. You know why we're resting on the seventh day? He made everything in six days. And he rested the seventh day to show that we're the creator gods, the one true God. We're resting on the seventh day. It was part of their witness. It was meant as a sign. A Sabbath keeping was Israel's sign of the old covenant. And it was to show that the one true God is creator. The new covenant has a sign. It has a symbol. It's already been settled who is the creator, so that's not the sign for us. You, I think you already know it because you already... What's the sign of the new covenant? The Lord's Supper. I'm not going to turn you to it. 1 Corinthians 11.25. This cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11.25. It's the cup. You know what you're showing? Not that God created. That's been settled. You're showing the Son of God is the Savior. His blood is what cleanses. You're showing the gospel of grace. When you took that cup this morning, you're saying that's the new covenant, His blood, not my works, not some ritual, His blood. So while Israel pointed to God, the church is a witness of Jesus. It's a difference. All right? They witness God's righteousness, His creator power, create, create, creating power. We're witnesses Christ's redemptive power, His blood. And so we have a whole different sign. We do have a sign. Whenever you take that cup, it's the sign of the new covenant. You came in here, not by your works, or not even by God's creation. You came in here by the blood of Christ and showing forth his death. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. It, it does. Uh, in that light, right, you said, you, you mentioned that there's not, no cursing in associated with the new covenant as there was in the old covenant. That's right. But there is a negative aspect, in a sense, right, in 1 Corinthians 11. Because he says, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. But if they were to eat and drink this cup unworthily, they shall be guilty. And then there talks about damnation, eating and drinking damnation. So, like, can you comment? Yes, it goes on eating and drinking damnation. It goes on to say, for this cause many sleep, and some are sick. It is a discipline in their life. We, God can discipline us as his children. doesn't mean that we can get away with things. But it does not promise us eternal condemnation, the cursing of being cut off from the covenant. Uh, that's what we mean by cursing. I regarded them not, God said. Uh, so while God can, just like you can discipline your children, but then you don't disown your children. Uh, uh, and so, yes, there is discipline uh, when we don't discern the Lord's body. It's the greatness of this cup at the Lord's Supper and what it represents our Lord Jesus. But there is not the cursings because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, cursings, the lake of fire, things like that. No way. Cursed. You remember when he consigned to the lake of fire, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Matthew 25, 41. None of that. Discipline's different than judgment. Yeah. And then lastly, 
I've got my back to this side, and there might be a hand up here, you know. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, the name. There's a legal name to it. And in Galatians 3.18, we were there yesterday. Uh, it's not by law. God gave it to Abraham by promise. When the Bible says law in many contexts, law is a code name for this whole covenant. Just like marriage means all kinds of things. Law means all these terms, all these blessings and cursings. So when the Bible says law, it means this package of the covenant in many contexts. You are not under the law, but under grace. So one of the code names for the old is law. And it just means all this. Another one is works. You know, Romans eleven six. If by grace it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. And if by grace it's no more works, otherwise work is no more work. And so sometimes work in the Bible or works in the Bible means this. And law in the Bible means this. It's just a formal name for it, just like marriage. On the other hand, uh, 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 the code name for uh, this is too, promise. God gave it to Abraham by promise. In other words, we get these by God's promises, not by our promises to do for him. And so the whole thing is called promise, meaning one party covenant has to do the promises, not two. And the other code name is what? I already gave it to you. Grace. Sometimes in the Bible, you're under grace. It means this whole package. If by works, then it's no more of grace. So many times those words are pregnated with meaning, with depth. And when you understand the covenants, you understand what they mean. So these are ways in God's eternal plan, He decided to formalize things. And the, promise, the, the, the new covenant came after the old. So you can appreciate the new and, and not fall for something else because you have the old to compare it to. May God preserve you from the old. Christendom is mired in the old. The gospel's not. Okay, we're, our, our session's over unless there's a real quick comment. You mentioned, yeah, yes. you mentioned that discipline is different than judgment. I mentioned what? That discipline is different than judgment. Yes, I did. Excuse me, brother. Yes. Yes, brother asked me to explain discipline is different than judgment. In the context of biblical judgment, like, like uh, Romans 131, 132, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Speaking of judicial judgment where the sinner deserves separation from God, death and the lake of fire. That type of judgment is never upon the believer. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment and so on. Uh, discipline means that even though I'm a child of God and I'm not headed for judgment, my behavior is such that he has to correct it in my lifestyle. J just like my children. They're my children. I, legally, they're my children. But there's things they did some days they got a spanking, you know. And, and so what we mean by discipline is God's daily corrections, but God never throws you into the penalty of your sin, which is death and hell for that. Or that would be a cursing. And there is no, it's only blessing. So by discipline, I mean changing your behavior to please him. By judgment, when we use it the way the Bible uses it in most contexts, it means the penalty that my sin deserved forever. Does that make any sense? Okay. Romans 132 is one of those verses. Yes. And you, yeah. Is promise... 
Is Brian sometimes helps me out. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. It was to the nation of Israel and all their offspring. It was it's to the whole nation. The forefathers accepted it, and sometimes what nations do affect the citizens too. Uh, however, when you get to the new covenant, it will be to the nation of Israel, but now when you get to the new covenant, it says, Whosoever believeth, it now starts with the individual. Whosoever believeth. And so it's not that if I believe my children are saved too. So the new covenant, and I'm glad you brought that up, takes on an individual. However, when I believe, I become part of the corporation called the church, the body of Christ. Okay? Thank that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah.